50s for the high country, looking sunny and dry, lows 30s and 40s. Diversions is presented by Mark Kaplan, who is wholly responsible for this show's content. The opinions expressed on Diversions are not necessarily those of KUBC, its staff, management, or KUBC advertisers. Good morning, and welcome to Diversions. Another great day in the in western Colorado. Uh, my name is Mark Catlin. I'll be your host here on KUBC 580 AM. Well, let's talk about the people that keep us on the air. Producers Co-op here in Montrose and, and in Olathe, they, um, you know right where they're at, on Main Street here in Montrose and Olathe. They're great people. They take care of a great place. If you've got any needs for agriculture, they've got it. Fuel, fertilizer, seed, tires, they've got it. No matter how big your operation is, they are there to help you. Believe me. Walk through the door, the first question they ask is, can I help you? And they mean that. They'll help you put it in the pickup or they'll deliver it to your outfit, no matter how big or how small that place is. So just remember, Producers Co-op, great people, taking care of a great place. Turner Automotive, been with us since we've started. They're your Chevrolet, General Motors, and Toyota dealership here in the Uncompahgre Valley. Out here on the East Main, they built a new building, and they've got a yard full of, of new cars, and, and believe me, there are some fine-looking cars out there. I drove through it last night. You know, and if you need help, they're the people that will take care of your automobile. Their service department's the best I've ever, did, ever done business with. It's Turner Automotive here in Montrose. Leadership Circle. They've created that shopping center south of Montrose. Believe me, that's what's got us to be the shopping center of western Colorado. You know, they've done some great things residentially around the edges of town. They are the people that have built a lot of these new subdivisions, new places for you to live. If you need a new place to build, take a drive around the edges of town. Leadership Circle built those out there. Mesa Storage, Ron and Pam Brown and friends of mine, they operate Mesa Storage. It's open every day from dawn till dusk, and it's locked and lighted every night so that your treasures are safe. Believe me, they are they take care of your things like I take care of my things and you take care of your things. They believe that you're the people that they want to help. They're friends, they're neighbors, they're patriots. Ron and Pam Brown at Mesa Storage. Go by and say hello. You'll be their friend before you leave. Scott's Printing's been with us since we went to an hour. Scott's Printing has done everything I ever needed for printing. They've created bugs on apples. They've made banners across Main Street. Everything I've ever asked them to do, they've been able to do it. They did it on time. They did it on budget. And if you want to present an image, Scott's Printing is the place to go. They really do care. They'll sit down and help you present that image by letting you take a look at it before they start to put it on paper or on your, or on your T-shirt, for example. Scott's Printing, good people. Go by and say hello. Thank them for sponsoring Diversions. We can't do this without them. So, anyway, thank you very much. Well, we've got a new system here at the radio station, and I'm having a little struggle with it. I got, I'm got wearing earphones and all kinds of stuff, and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just not comfortable yet. I feel like a radio professional, and I'm not one. So if I'm a little stuttery this morning, that's what's going on with me. It's nice to be home. It's nice to be on the air with you folks. I want you to know that I miss Montrose when I don't get a chance to come home. This is where it's home, and believe me, I've been over there in Denver to where, man, you guys do live in the right place, believe me. Even though I couldn't see the San Juans, I knew that they were down there this morning when I got up. You know, this is home to me, and I, uh, I believe in this place, and I believe in you folks out there. I see we're out starting to get to farming. Everything's looking like we're stirring the earth, and we're going to start planting some seeds. 
think onions are starting to sprout and corn's going in the ground. So it looks like, you know, these farmers, you farmers are out there. You're the true optimists. Plant a seed and harvest a crop. You know, it looks like we're going to be pretty short on water this year. So, you know, everybody's going to have to do a great job of irrigating anymore. And uh, I'm sure that you folks out there will be able to do it. Some of these short years, you've produced great crops because you manage that water. You don't just waste it. You don't just spread it. You actually irrigate with it. And that's a big difference between us and a lot of people that are that think they run water for a reason. So you know, I want you to know that I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of the job that you're doing out there. And uh, just keep it up. We need you. Well, today should be a good show. We've got a guy calling in. Uh, we've got a guy calling in that hasn't been on the air with us before, so you stand by just for a second, and we'll talk to him. All right. Good morning. Welcome to the air. You're on Diversions. Good morning. Hello, Joe Do Duda. This is Standby. Let me introduce you and brag on you a little bit. Our right. guest this morning is going to be Joe Duda, who is the the deputy state forester for the state of Colorado. He's one of the men that's in charge of the forest of the state of Colorado and has done a, you know, he, I met him yesterday at Rural Caucus, which is a little thing that we've put together to try and fill people in as to what's going on in rural Colorado. And um, he did a great job over there yesterday morning. So we invited him to be our guest today on the show. Good morning, Joe Duda. How are you today? Good morning, Representative Catlin. Thank you for having me. Yep, I can hear you. Good enough. I, it's a new system over here, and I'm I'm trying to get comfortable with that. How are things in Fort Collins this morning? Actually, Representative, we it's great because we've got some snow coming down, and there's just enough to cover the grass, and so it's very nice to see the moisture here. Yeah, we're all counting every flake anymore. That's a, that's a big deal in Colorado this year for sure. So listen, I wanted to talk to you today about Colorado's forests. How many acres of, of forest are there in Colorado? In, in Colorado, we have just over 24 million acres of forest type in a, in a diverse range of species. So what species do we have in the state of Colorado? So, Representative, I'll start from the, the lower elevations. At the lower elevations... We have pinyon juniper forest and oak shrublands, and the pinyon juniper forest is actually the, the largest forest type in Colorado. And then as you move up in elevation, we have ponderosa pine. We have mixed conifer, which, which is a combination of species depending on elevation and, and aspect and slope, and it's could be anything from Eagleman spruce, blue spruce, bristlecone pine, limber pine, white fir, ponderosa pine, or Douglas fir. And then our next largest forest type is aspen, and you'll find aspen scattered through a, a reasonably wide range of elevation. And, and then we have lodgepole pine, and then at the highest elevations we have spruce fir, and then we also have Plains riparian forest. We have about a quarter million acres of, of riparian forests on the plains in Colorado. And there are, there are plains working forests, ag agroforestry, so windbreaks and shelter belts. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you quickly about um, how many uh, acres of privately owned forests does the state of Colorado have, or do you folks keep track of that? 
there's approximately 7 million acres. So those private forests there, we're still able to log them and people can sell the logs and, uh, you know, turn them into wood and those kind of things. Is, is that still a pretty viable business here in Colorado? Yes, there, there's still management going on on private land. Some do it independently. Some use forestry consultants, and we provide a lot of assistance to private landowners to manage their forest lands. You know, you were talking yesterday about uh, the cooperation between the state of Colorado and the U.S. Forest Service. Could you talk to us about that a little bit in regards to the good neighbor policy and some of those kind of things? That was interesting to me, the idea that the state and the federal are right, you know, they're working together in regards to forest health. So the good, so the good neighbor authority it, it is is a permanent national authority now. It was piloted in Colorado, probably starting, and I believe it was it was with the 2000 Farm Bill, and and so what it allows it allows cross boundary work and it allows state forestry agencies to implement projects on federal land, either U.S. Forest Service or Bureau of Land Management lands using state contracting authorities and state forestry personnel. And so through a great partnership with the U.S. Forest Service, we've we figured out where, where we have local expertise and the U.S. Forest Service has a need on land management. And so they do the planning aspects of it. And then with our personnel and with state contracting procedures, we do the implementation. So we currently have agreements in place with the Rio Grande, the San Juan National Forest, the Geomug, the Arapaho Rose Belt is considering it, the White River is considering it. Um, so, so like I said, it, it's a great combination of expertise, and, and it allows us to work effectively. And, and also, when now when we look at projects, we don't just look at, the, the small landscape, we stand back and look at the greater landscape and where the needs are and the best distribution of resources. So I really look forward to this going forward. So with this new program, and it's now permanent, will we start to see more logging in, in uh, Colorado um, off of na- uh, national forest lands? And uh, are we going to be able to start addressing some of this beetle kill? And we'll get to that beetle kill, what caused it. Will we start to see some logs moving out of out of the mountains? Well, well, I can say, Representative, even even in the absence of good neighbor, I know the U.S. Forest Service and the regional office they they've increased their program in terms of the stewardship and management they're doing annually, and and if we can build some efficiencies by working together cooperatively, that increase in efficiency means the money will go further and so hopefully we will be able to see more more acres impacted with with good stewardship you know um, yesterday when we were when we had that meeting and by the way you did a great job over there I, I appreciate it i had a number of representatives tell me they really appreciated you being there because you know you're one of those guys you don't have to look it up you already have that information in the back of your mind or it's part of your fiber i guess so you did a real good job answering some of those questions how many acres of Colorado's forests are impacted by um, insect infestations? So, 
so I'll, I'll give you a short rundown, probably starting in the late 90s and in the 2000. Um, I think everybody's aware we had the real heavy drought year starting in 2001 or 2002 for, for quite a few years. And we during that time period, in the Pinion Juniper, just in the, the U.S. Forest Service does an aerial survey every year where they fly over forest lands, they have digital sketch mappers, they, they track the forest insect and diseases they can see from the air, and, and we have personnel at the state agency that cooperate with them. So a short rundown is, is at least in the area we mapped and not all-inclusive of 5 million acres of pinion, 1.4 million acres were impacted by, by pinion ips beetle. And in the lodgepole pine and ponderosa pine, predominantly in northern Colorado, we had 3.4 million acres impacted. In, in, in the spruce fir forest type, to date, we've had just nearly 1.8 million acres of mortality in spruce due to spruce bark beetle, and that forest type is just over 4.5 million acres. And, and then we have defoliators like western spruce budworm, Douglas fir beetle, and, and then I think you're aware down in southwest Colorado, we also have an epidemic that's been growing of the round-headed uh, pine beetle, and, and and so all those total up to where to where we're actually seeing insect and disease activity in Colorado that we haven't seen in recorded history. Well, yeah, you can you know when you take a drive over the mountains, you can start to see some of them are red, some of them are gray, but they're all dead. And that's you know it's really pretty scary. Will this infestation work itself out, or will those dead trees continue to host um, bugs so that they can go on and continue to infest? Or do they infest from the dead trees or from the live trees that they've now um, bored into? So, so the, 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 the beetles that are killing the trees affect the, the green trees, right. and, and then once those, once those trees are killed... Those bugs have moved on to other new host trees. There are some other wood borers and insects that that affect dead trees to ver to a varying varying extent. But once those trees are killed, they'll they'll stand on the landscape for, for different periods of time. Lodgepole pine may may stand um, as a dead tree for. 15 or 25 years, we, we'll see sometimes dead spruce trees will will remain on the landscape, dry out, shed their limbs and bark, and they might be there 50 or 60 years into the future. So, so it varies with species, but but it's the live trees and and the forest condition, the warmer temperatures, the some of the drought years, all all of those things. Are factors, but but the forest condition is a driving factor. So so what you're telling us is that as that tree get you know goes through a drought cycle, it's not healthy enough to really fight off the bugs. They they can go ahead and penetrate the bark, and the tree can do nothing about it. When when right. there's when the tree is healthy, can it fight off the bugs and the infestation? So 
so when the tree when the trees are healthier, that they have much greater ability to to withstand the beetle. And, and so, an example would be mountain pine beetle, a, a really a really good healthy tree is producing a lot of moisture and resin, carrying it in in, in the layer just underneath the bark that transmits water and nutrients. And so, when the bark beetle bores in, the tree produces enough pitch that that it actually pitches that beetle out and it's not easy to attack. What what happened with mountain pine beetle is is we had what I've heard people describe as the perfect storm. We we had a landscape of of predominantly mature trees. They were they were very dense. They they were at towards the end of their life cycle, the stands were dense and crowded. And then we went into a period of time where, where we had drought conditions and warmer temperatures and and the volume of beetles that were produced just basically overwhelmed the forest and without cold temperatures to knock those populations back we had an epidemic they, they are a native beetle and they operate within the system but but the conditions were perfect for this epidemic to happen well, you know, and that's uh, that's one of the things that we keep hearing. Uh, so, how many acres of of, um, of our forests would be able to be logged if you know if we could log them? Yesterday, we were talking about how many acres we had of uh, wilderness areas and those kind of places, and and the the slopes are too steep in a lot of our forests to even get in there and try to log them. How many acres could we treat if we were able to? Boy, so without without going through the, the complete rundown, right. I, I'll I'll try to give you a, a broader picture. So so of the of the twenty four of the twenty four million acres, where most of the work we do in oak shrublands and woodlands is probably more related to fire protection and, and potentially wildlife habitat management. The the high elevation spruce fir, there's 4.6 million acres. The predominant amount of that is in federal ownership. The, the U.S. Forest Service, for example, owns about and manages there, uh, roughly between 9 and 10 million acres is forested. And probably a little over 30% of that is available for harvesting and and without adequate resources to fully implement their forest plans, they're only able to do a percentage of it. And in the private lands, we have 7 million acres. Not all of the owners want to do management. And then, as you said, some of the lands are, are steep. They're, they're unavailable for harvesting or, or they're on poor soils or, or they're in watersheds. And, and so the reality is, that that the far less than the majority of the forests in Colorado are actually available for harvesting, and and it's it's my view as a professional forester that that the best thing we can do is take care of the lands that we can work on and create some diversity and resiliency in that, because we won't stop natural processes but healthy, diverse, resilient forests are, are much better able to withstand those processes. And, and if you think about northern Colorado it, in, in the future, 
wouldn't it be better to only have mortality on 20, 30, or 40 percent of the acreage rather than 80 or 90 percent of the forested acreage because all of the various impacts that it has? Yeah, let's. I would agree with that. So you, you mentioned something, and I want to ask real. I want to ask you. Forests and watershed management—they go hand in hand. So, are there techniques that you folks use in regards to watershed management? Absolutely. The you know as as the as the health of a watershed declines, the the water the water yield and quality from that watershed can also decline, and so when. I need you to step back and stand where you were because I'm I'm missing I'm losing your cell signal. <laughs> okay, um, so there you are. so so we're um, we work with water providers. We we work with Denver Water Board. We're, we work with Northern Water. We we manage and and assist with Colorado Springs Utilities and Pikes Peak Watershed, and so. We, we employ the same civil cultural principles of management to to ensure that we're doing the right treatment for the forest type that improves the health and resilience of those trees and and doesn't take away future options. And so as you in, in some areas, you remove patches of trees in other areas, it, it's thinning. And so all of those treatments reduce the levels of fuel in the forest, give the remaining trees more room to grow and, and, and overall improve the forest health. And, and by doing that, you protect the watersheds. I see. So, so let me ask a question. I've noticed that we, our forests over here are just full of trees that are about eight to 10 inches across and they're just really thick. Then there's the older growth. How did so many trees all grow at the same time, and now they're all the same age or the same size? It, it's it's it looks, uh, it's almost like something happened that these trees all of a sudden started growing and took over. So for for some of the forest types representative, like high elevation spruce fir forests, the the fire return interval on those forests is extremely long. You, you can read anywhere from two to 300 years to 400 years is, is the occurrence. And, and when fire occurs in those forests, it's usually not low-intensity ground fires. It's usually catastrophic stand replacement fires, and it's a combination of the right forest condition and, and then dry enough conditions so those cool, moist forests can burn. And then it basically starts them all over again, and it's a very slow process. And, and in the absence of management, the, the trees will continue to grow just like your garden will continue to grow until you elect to interject some management through thinning and, and, and removal of some of those to give the remaining trees room to grow. And then at the mid-elevations, the, the fire return interval is a little bit different, and it depends if you're in lodgepole pine. Lodgepole pine has the, the tendency to where it'll grow up 100, 120, maybe 150 years, 
insect and disease will either set the forest back and start over again, or fire comes in and Lotspole has serotonous cones, so they're closed up with pitch, and it takes heat to open those cones. And the heat can either be fire or it can be harvesting that puts those cones back down on the ground where the sun can heat the ground up enough, open those cones, and start a new forest. So if we have the opportunity to do management and and not manage the entire landscape, but create a diversity of age classes across the landscape. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I was, um, you mentioned yesterday that um, we had a very wet period of time that um, from, I, I'm not sure if I remember exactly, but I know it ended maybe in the mid-70s, and a lot of these trees sprouted up in the mid-70s and, and um, grew through that wet period, and now we're in a drought period, and that it's made a bad situation that much worse. Is that right? That, that's correct. I had I had seen a study a number of years ago, and it was it was focused on northern New Mexico, but I believe it said it applied to Colorado. That that the period from the mid seventies to the mid nineties was an extremely wet twenty year period, and and of course a lot of our forests were maturing and getting older. And so rather than having normal conditions where, where they would have thinned themselves somewhat naturally with those cooler, moist conditions, those forests continued to grow. And so we went from that, that cooler, more moist conditions to the entirely opposite end of the spectrum starting in 2000 or 2002 to where it was, it was considerably warmer, warmer winters, um, and, and considerably drier, and and so the the landscape couldn't support that amount of trees, and so Mother Nature took over with natural processes. We had we had fires, and of course, uh, a lot of the fires are man caused, but but it was a perfect smorgasbord for bark beetles to take over and 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 work the landscape at epidemic levels. Okay, so well. You know, let's go back to watershed management. So, in other words, Denver water, Northern water, uh, Colorado Springs water, and Pikes Peak, they ask you folks to help with management of the forest. Do Does the Forest Service, U.S. Forest Service, have to sign off on those plans, or do you guys just do that on a contract basis? Um, we just do that work on a contract basis, and, and, and I do think it's important to know that that 80% of the population in Colorado relies on forested watersheds to deliver municipal water supplies. So, so what we do both thinning close to communities, but in the general landscape, they're, they're really critical because we all know in Colorado how important water is. But we do that independently with our expertise. Okay, so so have... Let's talk about the western slope a little bit over here. Uh, Taylor Park Reservoir is um, one of the is one of our primary supplies. It is our primary supply of stored water. Mm-hmm. I see that forest starting to change. So how would uh, how would people get in touch with the state forester and start talking about watershed management and those kind of things for the western slope? Or is there some being done? 
so so there is work being done in in the Tampa Park Basin. They have had forest management pro- projects over the last 20 years to where I know the U.S. Forest Service has removed timber. And then um, downstream from Taylor, Taylor Reservoir, there, there's been private land that has been managed. We have a field office in Gunnison, and we have a field office in Montrose, and, and we have staff expertise there that's available to assist and answer questions. I see. So, so one of the things that we're, we're talking about here is the need for logging, and we are able to do some. We, you know, some of us are under the impression that, well, we can't ever log in the forest anymore because, you know, we, we don't know where to go. We don't know how to file the applications, those kind of things. But so if somebody wanted to, wanted management, would they contact your office? Would they contact the U.S. Forest Service? How would we get started in talking about what we might be able to do in our area? So, so the, the Grand Mason, Compagre, and Gunnison National Forest just went through, they called it their, their speed mer planning process. Right. And, and so they have considerable acreage that, that a, a broad range of stakeholders, and we participated, ha, have gone through. It, it's, it, it's through the planning and the environmental assessment process. And so we actually have a forester that will be doing good neighbor work in Gunnison, and we have a forester in Montrose that will be good, be doing good neighbor work. So we will be implementing projects with the U.S. Forest Service using our personnel and contracts on federal land. And and if it's and if people are interested that are private landowners, they would come to our office. If they're interested in questions on federal lands, they would go to the U.S. Forest Service office. But, okay. but yeah, it's, cri- it's critical to voice your opinion so that it can be heard if you're interested in, in the stewardship of, of all national forest system lands. Well, you know, one of the things that um, it, we went through a period of time where people were acting like, don't touch the forest. Let's not do anything. Let's suppress the fires. Let's do everything we can to leave the forest alone. I don't know, but I feel like people's attitudes are starting to change in regards to forest management. I think they're wanting to see some of these things happen in this day and age. Am I right? I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I think it's human nature for us to be resistant to change. And, and if you think about the, the long cycles that forests grow on for for a significant period of time, the forests were changing, but, but it was imperceptibly slow. And, and what happened when Mother Nature accelerated that time frame, there's, there, there's, there's things that happen if you, if you manage in the forest, but, but what we failed to take really good account for it is there's, there's results if you don't do management. And I think what's happening is in some of the areas, because of the amount of acres that are impacted, it, it's not palatable to people because of the resource values we expect from our forest. And, and so I think the dialogue has been robust and very healthy about, so what do we really want from our forest in the future? And, 
and management can get us there on some of the lands, so we should do it and do it wisely and not just take a hands-off approach. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think people are starting to come to the table and want to, you know, to give their opinions. There's, one of the problems is most of us don't know what to do, what is good forest health. We, you know, and when we wake up and they're all dead, then we know this is not what we want. So we're asking, what can we do? And, you know, we may be too late in some of those forests. So, I, I you know, opening the conversation has got to be, you know, helping you folks. Right, and... And in terms of management, the, you know, the common saying about planting a tree is the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The next best time is today. The same goes for forest management. It's never, it's never too late to have an impact on what the future does. And, and what we do in the next 10 or 20 years will, will have profound impact on what on what the forest will look like in, in 50, 75, and 100 years. And so when we make choices, we have to choose wisely. Well, you know, has, has, uh, has, has the EIS process, is it changing? Is it making it easier for us to go in and start managing some of these forests? Or is it just that it seems like it's delay and stall tactics a lot of times and the forests don't heal? But, you know, that's, I don't want to speak on behalf of the U.S. Forest Service, but, but what I've seen, and especially on some of the western slope forests in Colorado, it is they're being more effective and efficient with use of some of the newer authorities they have. And, okay. and also by planning at a broader level, you, you more effectively use the resources you have rather than doing a whole number of small individual projects. So they they have rules and policies and guidelines that they need to follow. And what I've seen recently and, and the cooperative partnership that we have, um, I'm, I'm optimistic about what the future holds in, in our ability to shape the forest for our future expectations and to meet our current needs. Well, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned something, and I'm aware of it, down in the Dolores County in regards to that roundhead beetle. What, yes. and, and it's got a small infestation started there, I think 10,000 acres. Yes. And there's being action taken right now to start to address the health of that forest. And what kind of trees are those? Those, those are predominantly, that, that forest is ponderosa pine. And, and I believe in that forest type, in the coming years, you will, you will see active management going on to take care of that infestation and, and also manage the, the general forest in that area in, in a lot of that environment because it, that lower elevation, uh, more of a plateau, has been harvested in the past, and so those trees are at the ripe age to have thinning to give them room to grow. And, and so I believe what I know about the planning on the San Juan, I think they're looking at the needs, and I, I, and I believe they'll be implementing projects in the future. And so your office is involved with that too, so that, um, you know, it's in the state of Colorado. Even though it's on federal lands, you guys are at the table. You have some input, and you help with those decisions? Yes, we, we cooperate with both with um, looking at the insect and disease activity, 
with with distribution of our resources and, and our input. So we, we have a very good relationship with the San Juan National Forest in, on a cooperative basis. Well, that's always good to hear. I, uh, I wanted to ask about um, how... Do you, what do you expect? I'm, I'm trying to get my words in the right place here. What do you expect from this summer? Do you think we will see some terrible forest fires? Just, you know, from your experience, I'm afraid we're going to have some major fires in our area. So, so I pulled up the, the Colorado snow water equivalent map as of April 21st. And, and even though the statewide snowpack representative Catlin is 71 percent the Gunnison Basin is 57 percent southwest Colorado is 32 percent and the upper Rio Grande is 31 percent and and so in in the absence of getting a good season of summer rainfall and, and monsoon flow there there's a high risk that that a fire start in those areas could affect significant acreage. So, so I'm especially worried about the southwest part and the southern part of the state. Yeah, I, I've looked at some of those maps myself, and it's got, you know, it's got danger written all over it. You know, it's all in dark red. Um, they're in severe drought. Boy, I don't know. I, I really do. I'm kind of got my fingers crossed for these folks. That's. Um, you know, there's not much you can do sometimes when a fire breaks out because those, you know, there's dense. You can't get to some of those areas, and you're not allowed in some other areas. So I'm hoping that we don't injure the watershed health down around the west southwestern part of the state of Colorado. Because, I absolutely um, agree. I'm worried about it also. Yeah, I can tell that. So do you ever get over here to the western slope? Yes, I do. I was actually in... Montrose about a month or two ago. I was in Durango just the past week. It's we have an office in Steamboat. It's been a while since I've been out there. I, I lived in in the Upper Rio Grande Basin for 20 years, and so I I still have a fond affection for Southwest and Western Colorado. Yeah, you, you said you lived in South Fork, didn't you, for a long time? Yep, that's correct, and we still have property there. We we go down there every chance we get. <laughs> I know how that feels. I I drove as fast as I could over from Denver the last <laughs> night to get home. So, okay, you know how that feels. And I, you know, yeah. I want you to know we truly appreciate you being on the air with us this morning. It was, uh, you know, it was kind of a quick notice of, um, of guest here on the on the radio. But you've done a great job with us this morning, and I I want to commend the state forest office. They, I think that they are out there every day pushing to do something for the state of Colorado, and I want you to know that I appreciate that. Representative Catlin, thank you, and we also appreciate the, the interest over the last 10, 10 or 15 years and, and the effort the Colorado legislature has put into the, the issues surrounding forest management, the risk of fire, and the support and assistance um, you've given, and also the, 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 the tax deduction for people doing wildfire mitigation all of those things are critically important for for us to be able to move forward on the issue so thank you well thanks again for being our guest we'll let you go back to enjoying your weekend thank you so much for taking time out of your life and uh, being a guest here on diversions thank you mr duda thank you very much representative catlin have a great weekend take care good day sir
Thank you. Well, there's the state forest deputy state forester, Joe Duda, who was a guest with us this morning, talking about Colorado forest health, uh, watershed health. We're going to take a quick break and go do some business with the people that keep us on the air. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All your agricultural needs can and will be met by Producers Co-op here in Montrose, Oralatha. They have everything you will need from fertilizer to seed, feed to ag chemicals, and clothes to propane. They have the products you need and the experts to help you apply them on your fields, your garden, or your ranch. They'll load it in your pickup or deliver it right to your place. Give Producers Co-op a try. There's stores in both Montrose and Olathe. Turner Automotive is our General Motors dealer in Montrose carrying the GMC Sierra and the best truck line, the Chevrolet Colorado. They also carry a full line of Toyota cars and trucks. Owner Ross Turner and his staff are there to serve you and your automotive needs. See them on East Main at the edge of town. Hometown people that know the meaning of community. Before you buy a new car or truck, give them a try. They'll do their best. That's Turner Automotive. Leadership Circle, LLC, creates new communities to live in and the shopping centers right here in the Montrose area. They've developed the shopping centers south of town and brought in all of those stores. Their goal, to create new residential communities to live in and great places to raise families. They help Montrose and the surrounding area be as modern as any city in the USA and still keep our hometown way of life the American way of life. Remember, Leadership Circle is out front developing new places for the people that live in our area. Mesa Storage, open from dawn to dusk every day of the year. Mesa Storage has all of your storage needs. A security yard locked overnight for the security you need for all your treasures. They have short-term and long-term storage units, as well as small units to garage-sized units. Open every day of the year, they are ready to serve your needs. Give them a call at 249-5325. That's Mesa Storage, LLC. Now, back to Mark Catlin with Diversions. Well, thank you. Welcome back. I, uh, I keep hearing myself in my earphones, and I can't, I can't tell how loud my voice is. I don't want to be hollering at you out there. I wanted to talk about Scott's Printing real quickly. You know, they've been with us since we switched out and started to be an hour show. Scott's Printing has done everything I've ever asked them to do as far as printing is concerned. They've helped me present the project, project images that for this show, for my businesses, for those kind of things. Always have done a great job for me. They're friends of mine. They'll be friends of yours. They're the kind of people that you would like to do business with. They will help you in any way you need as far as printing is concerned. Stop by. You don't have to find them on the Internet. You can find them right on South 12th, right here in your hometown. Stop by, tell them thank you, and ask them to help you present that image. Well, today's been a good show. I, uh, you know, I don't know very much about forest or forest health, but they are very, very important in regards to whether or not you're raising alfalfa or Olathe sweet corn or onions out here. Forest health and watershed health are a big deal in regards to how much water we've got, how clean it is, and those kind of things. There have been some communities over on the eastern slope where their watershed burnt, and, um, man, I'm telling you, they have had silting problems for the last 15 years. That Hayman fire in Denver on the Denver watershed still causing them lots of problems with erosion and all the other impacts. The Alamosa River is, is you know, nearly died over, you know, when the fire hit over there on the, on this, in the San Luis Valley. So those are the kind of things that are important to us, and regardless if you're in agriculture or foresting 
or if you're a tourist, or if you just love to go to the mountains, we see the difference that's happening out there in our woods. You know, hopefully we can continue to have these kind of conversations. I wanted to fill you in a little quickly about what I've been doing this last week. I was in, uh, I had to go to Glenwood Springs for two days uh, to the Colorado River District board meeting, and uh, we, we had a two-day meeting up there. I was, uh, they gave me an excused absence away from the House of Representatives. We got an opportunity to talk about following and how this western slope of Colorado is going to take a look at how we're going to maybe have to follow. Plus, we talked about the shortage of water this year. It is going to be a very short year. Those of you that make a living with water recognize that. And then you're, if you play on water, you're probably going to see a big difference in regards to that too. Rafting flows and, you know, those kind of things are going to be going down because there's just not enough water up there in the mountains to, uh, you know, to supply it. I think I've got a call coming in right now, so we're going to take that real quickly. Good morning. Welcome to the air. You're on Diversions. Hey, Mark. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? What an excellent show. But uh, I have a couple couple dings. One is, uh, that man was so smart. Why didn't you have a conversation instead of a seminar? Um, he... <laughs> He explained everything, but no, you didn't let the callers come in. And some of these callers probably would have had some questions that uh, probably would have challenged him. And he didn't seem to be too key on uh, going into the forest for loggers to clean it up. And there's millions of dollars sitting out there. Yeah, I agree with that. letting it rot. I agree with that. That's one of the things that we're trying to get them to start doing, and I think that that state forester's office is moving towards getting a lot more logs. There's going to be some logs coming out of Dolores into this sawmill this summer. So there are some things happening. I think people are starting to change their mind about how we're managing the forest, and I agree with you. We do need to bring more logs out of there. Well, Mark, you know we have some valuable resources out there in Colorado, and if we managed it so bad, why are they all wanting to move here? Yeah. And the thing, yeah, and the thing is, is we are we we have proven or we're responsible um, for our environment. And, and uh, my gosh, why would we kill the environment? We live in it. Oh, I agree with you. That's one of the things that I think we're starting to see a difference in. In regards to Western Slope um, Forest Management, our G-Mug and some of these are starting to get a little easier to maybe take some logs out of. Some of these down down um, down here in the San Juan Forest are starting to look at how can we harvest this uh, resource. We need to log, and I, it's one of the things about diversions this show. We want to talk about natural resources. So this is one of those opportunities for us to bring somebody in who knows something about forests because... When you talk to me, all I know is that if a tree falls in the forest, it does make a noise, regardless if I'm there or not. Mark, you're an intelligent man. I have voted for you, and a lot of people voted for you. You are really common sense. But in some of your shows, I've appreciated that there was a conversation instead of a lecture. I get it. One of the things we're trying to... You bring smart people. Well, thank you. really do, and I appreciate that. Well, one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to build build a new system in here to where we may be able to have interactive conversations when I have somebody on the phone that's a a guest and that you would be able to call in and actively 
conversation with them. Up until now, we haven't been able to do that. That's the reason it's a one-way conversation. But thank well, you for hey, Mark, calling. Guess what? We all love you, okay? <laughs> well, you thank you. Have a good you. day, man. You too. Thank you for calling. Please do keep doing what you're doing. Kick some butt. We'll go for it. Thank you. Well, it's always nice to have somebody listening to us, and particularly somebody who's on our side. Thank you very much. If you'd like to call in, we'd be glad to listen to you. We'd be glad to have a conversation with you. Like I said earlier, the radio station is rapidly upgrading themselves, and what we're trying to do is to be able to fix it so that if we have a conversation with a guy on the phone, that somebody else can call in and get in on that conversation, kind of like uh, conference calling for you know in your office. But in this day and age, with all this technology, that takes a little time and it takes a lot of money. So we're in the process of moving towards that, and I want to thank KUBC for having us on the air. They've always done a great job for everything we've asked them to do. Got a great guy, Bob, that's twisting the knobs and pulling the levers. He's done a great job for us. He's been with us for a long time. Thank you, Bob. He can't talk. You don't have a microphone. <laughs> but I wanted to talk about following real quickly because... That's going to be, it's, it's coming on more and more people's minds, and, and they're thinking that it might be the right answer. You know, you've heard us talk a number of times about how following is just somebody doing something temporary so that somebody downriver from them will be able to sell a permanent water right. We are going to try very hard to bring that fact to the table. You know, we've been told here on the Western Slope that our agriculture is not valuable enough, and I really want you to know that offends me. I don't think the people that don't believe we're valuable enough, they don't live here. They don't have any idea what the value of ag is in this community. And you just take a look around, you can see the foundations in the western slope of Colorado are based in agriculture. And part of the things that we're selling to the tourists is the fact that these agriculturalists have so much water and are able to grow a crop. That's what keeps these rivers alive. That's what people are thinking about when they come to Colorado. One of the things we're going to have to start having is a conversation about how we are going to deal with the number of people that are living in our state. I'm more interested in helping the state of Colorado than I am in helping the state of California. I look, I look at water and I look at it as, as a statewide asset. We can talk with our neighbors to the east because they're part of Colorado. Our neighbors to the west really don't care. You know, I was at a meeting and I said to them, listen, if we didn't if we diverted no water in the Uncompahgre Valley for a whole year, not one drop, not anything anybody drank, we would only keep Southern California in the ag business for 2.3 months. How much help can we be? They need to live on their, on their water budget. We're trying very hard to live on our water budget. The state of Colorado is growing too. California seems to have an attitude that it doesn't matter what you need, we want. And that's what we're supposed to do is to fill their want. We need them to live within their water budget. We need them to live within their allocations because the state of Colorado is trying to live in our allocations. You know, Lake Powell is important to us, and we need to keep water in Lake Powell. And I agree with some of these contingency planning deals where we move water from Blue Mesa and from uh, um, Flaming Gorge down there so that we've got it as an insurance policy. Those kind of things are important. We need to be talking about that. But taking water off of the farm just for the sake of taking it off the farm doesn't make a lot of sense in long-term planning, in my, opinion, in my opinion. We do need more storage. We need more places that we can save water that we've saved off of these farms. 
Because conservation is not running water down the river. Conservation is putting it in a bucket somewhere and saving it for use at a later date. A lot of the folks that are pushing for conservation are actually pushing you to leave water in the river rather than leave water in the reservoir. That water in the river goes on by and once it's gone, it's gone. If you don't divert it, it's gone. But we need to be able to think about what we're going to do for the future of Colorado and for the future of the Western Slope and for the future of Montrose County and uh, all the counties around us. Because we do have those old water rights and we do need to be dealt with. Not just talked at, but talked with. We may have to remind them that this area holds the oldest and biggest water rights on the Gunnison River. Those are the kind of things we may have to remind people of when they start telling us that they don't think our ag is worth that much money. That's, uh, you know, I find that offensive, but. You know, there's been some changes in diversions too. We now have a presence on the internet, uh, you know, diversionsradio.com. Go and like us and share it on, um, on, the, on Facebook. You know, we're rapidly getting to be modern here in the diversions. My boy set us up, um, like us at diversionsradio.com. Um, if you want to contact me, you can contact me, Mark Catlin, at diversionsradio.com. You know, we're going to reach out and try to get with people so that we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're liking to hear, what you would like to hear on the radio, what you would like to have conversations about. You know, I, um, how much time do I got? All right, I got 30 seconds. I want to remind you that Americans are extraordinary people. Stand firm, stand strong. Use the rights that you've been given by the great creator, not by another man. This is the time in this country's life that we need to be exercising those rights. There are a lot of people that would like to take them away from you. We are very special people. You are very special people. Thank you so much for listening today. My name is Mark Catlin. It's been Diversions Radio, diversionsradio.com. Thank you very much. Enjoy your day. God bless each and every one of you. Good day. Diversions brought to you by Producers Co-op, Turner Automotive, Leadership Circle, and Scott Screening. 